you believe that? It is obviously God's time and not our time, but it is God's time to use you and use me. It is Go Sunday. We've been talking about praying. We've been talking about giving. And today we are talking about going. And what better way to do that than to celebrate real live missionaries here in the front row. Real live missionaries that have gone to the other ends of the world. But here's the deal. You just saw it in that video. Going begins right here, right where you are. We've been talking about this all weekend long. We started with the teenagers on our camping trip. We talked about going. And I want you to know that your teenagers, your students, your young people, they've begun thinking these crazy ideas. Mommy and daddy, get ready. They're going to come to you one day asking if they can go. Maybe for a week. Maybe for a semester. Maybe for two years or maybe for a lifetime. And then last night we celebrated with a fish fry. Who doesn't love a fish fry? We had plenty of fresh air, a few drops of rain, but lots of fresh air and breeze. And we talked again about going and what that looks like. And Sean and Shelly shared an awesome testimony of what it looked like for God to call them to the mission field. This morning we're focusing on that again. You see this awesome international spread back there. Can't wait to get my hands on it. You'd think I'd be full after all that fried fish, but I'm already excited about what kind of international treats Miss Liz has placed out there for us. But here's the deal. As we think about, as we talk about, as we pray about going, we must begin somewhere. So what does going look like? How do we go? Where do we go from? All of those questions I hope to answer as we look at these, uh, the passage that God has for us today. As we've talked about praying, as we've talked about giving, now we're talking about going. And there's a fantastic passage in the book of Mark. We, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the gospel of Mark with our adult Bible study. We came across a passage that we just had to stick with for a time because there's so much in that passage. And so I want to pull out that passage and read it with you. It's a miracle story and how that can demonstrate, show, teach us what going looks like. How do we even go, whether it's across the world or even across the street, what does that look like? So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible. If you have your Bible app, choose uh, today, hit the word events. Our church will come up. There you have all the verses, all the points. You can even take notes and save it for yourself. If you're online, you can, you can share this service with your friends right now. Catch them and get them to join you worshiping with us live online. If you have it, uh, look at Mark chapter 6, verse 45 and following. I'm going to read this passage for us. And I have a little bit of homework for you. I want you to pay attention. I need you to be awake and alive and alert and engaged. As I read the story, it's a familiar story. We're going to read one word that comes up four times. One important word that comes up four times. I want you to be listening in for that. I'm going to ask you if you caught the word. Okay, you ready? Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Listen to the story. Right away, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. boat. Excellent, Jimmy. He had them go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. Then he sent the crowds away. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray alone. 47 says, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples pulling hard on the oars. The wind was blowing against them. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them. He walked on the lake. When he was about to pass them by, they saw him walking on the lake. They thought he was a ghost, so they cried out. They all saw him, and they were all terrified. 
right away, Jesus said to them, be brave. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then Jesus climbs into the boat with him. The wind died down, and they were completely amazed. They had not understood about the loaves and the fishes. That was the, the story we read last week about the feeding of the 5,000. But they were stubborn. Verse 53 says, They went across the lake, and they landed at Gennesaret. There they tied up the boat. As soon as Jesus and his disciples got out, the people recognized him. Let's just stop right there. Okay, that's the story, familiar story. You've read it probably a hundred times. What was that one word that we read four times? Could it have been the word? Boat. Boat. Exactly, good. And now it's not just me. We're here in southwest Florida. Even on rainy days, how many of you are still dreaming of being on a boat? I know I am. I have a special affinity for boats. I mean, boats of any shape, well, almost any size, I can't deny, I love big boats and I cannot lie, but, but any boat really catches my eye, and I know that many of you are the same way. You hear a story about a boat, but imagine one story that mentions the word boat four times. It's got to be important. I know it's important to me. Let's see what God's trying to teach us about going through this word boat, all right? Start at the very beginning of the story. God wants to teach us what it looks like to go. All right, we've heard some great stories about going far away, but I want to I help you understand that going begins right here. Look at verse 45 one more time. Right away, now what, what does that right away mean? Remember, I just said the words, just before this story, Jesus, well, in the book of Mark, you remember, he gives a bunch of miracles. I mean, they come like a machine gun, these miracles. But the miracle just before this, Jesus had fed the 5,000 guys plus their wives plus their children. So maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand 10,000 people he had just fed. And right away, immediately, the Bible says, Jesus makes his disciples go away, get in a boat and go. And then Jesus himself, he pulls away and he goes up on a mountain all by himself. What's up with that? Here's the deal. If you're going to learn what going means, you need to understand the first thing you have to do before you start going, just running and heading off to, to Asia or to Africa or to Europe, you need to just go away. God wants us to pull away. Here's the deal. They were in the middle of all these crowds. These guys had been following Jesus for years now, and they had been seeing the crowds grow and the intensity grow and Jesus' popularity growing. And I want to tell you something. A crowd will do something to a guy's mind. A crowd will do something to a guy's perspective. A crowd will do something to a, mind, a man's own pride and his own inner personality. And Jesus said, I need to pull you guys away. I, I don't want you to focus on the crowds. I don't want you to focus on the, the accolades or even on the needs that the crowd has. I need to pull you away. I want God to have your full and undivided attention. If you're going to go anywhere across the world or even across the street, before you do anything, God wants to pull you away. God does special things when he has you to himself. God does special things in you, through you, for you, when he has you away and you can really listen to him. God needs your full attention in that waiting time. What God does in us during that waiting time is even more important than what he does, that thing that we are waiting for, an answer to prayer, for God to change something, for God to fix something, for God to tell us something. Those are all important things, and that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're hoping for. But even more important than that thing that God will one day give us, that thing that God does in us and through us and for us in those days or weeks or months 
or sometimes years of waiting is of even more value, valuable. Waiting is a daily decision. I will wait on your best, Father. I will wait on the very best thing. I will not run ahead of you. I will not try to fix it myself. I will not try to come up with a better idea myself. I will not try to piece it together in my own ability or our own ability. There is no plan B, Father. I'm waiting on you and nothing else. Even when I don't agree, even when I don't like it, even when I am convinced that my plan is better, I am waiting on you. How do you know that God is calling you? And what is he calling you to? This whole word calling or vocation comes from an old Latin word which means voice. God is speaking. The question is, and we ask this every week, yes, God is speaking, but are you listening? It is a conversation. You're calling. God's calling on your life. That is not something that you choose well, I, I really enjoy that aspect of ministry, or I really enjoy that gift or talent that others have, or I may have. A talent is something that you discover. You don't discover it by simply asking one time, praying one time, throwing up a Hail Mary, God, is this your will? It is a long-term commitment to a conversation. This is exactly what we focused on this weekend with the teenagers. As we were away at camp, we talked about this. I asked them what that looks like. How would you know what God wants from you and for you without exception they all said well i guess we'd have to talk to him <laughs> i said you talk you talk to god he said yeah but more important than that pastor he's got to answer you i said are you saying it's like a conversation you're talking he's talking you're listening he's listening they said yeah that's exactly what we mean huh huh i think they've got it I think that's exactly what it looks like. I think that's exactly how God wants it to be. It is a conversation. And when we understand and when God shows us that and we buy into that and we believe in that, then we can start moving out. Then we are convinced and we are convicted and we are committed to that which God gives. Let me give you, let me give you just a brief picture of what a convinced life looks like, okay? This is a letter I'm going to read to you. It is a letter from Adoniram Judson. Uh, you may know who Adoniram Judson was. He was the first Baptist missionary sent out. He went to the country of Burma. And in Burma, he lived for many years. He outlived his first and even his second wife and many, many of his children. And Adoniram Judson, when he felt called to the mission field, it was at a seminary conference for missions. He and another buddy of his, the problem was neither one of them had a wife. They didn't want to go overseas without a wife. They started praying immediately for a wife. He met this girl at the conference. A month later, he asked her to marry him. And this is a letter that he sends to her father asking permission for her hand in marriage. Are you ready for this, daddies? Do you have any girl daddies? I don't know if you ever got a letter like this. He says this. <clears throat> I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. To see her... To see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and suffering of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation and insult, 
persecution, and perhaps even a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamation of praise which shall resound to her, from, to her Savior from heathen saved through her means, through her words, and through her testimony from eternal woe and despair. So I ask you, kind sir, can you consent to part with your daughter? Drew, you didn't pull that one on me. <laughs> Daddies, what do you do with a letter like that? Oh, that we had more young men with the conviction of young Adoniram Judson. Now, we might hold our daughters a little closer <laughs> if we had a few Adonirams in our church. But oh, that we had more young men with his commitment, with his convinced spirit. That doesn't happen overnight. That didn't happen from one Hail Mary prayer. God had been in constant communication. There had been a conversation between this young man and God, and God was calling, and he was listening. God was showing and demonstrating, and he was going, and God gave him the exact wife that he needed to go and to serve. In our going, we must first pull away and go away. Secondly, in our going, we must first go to Jesus. Let's continue in the story. Look at verse 47. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples pulling hard on the oars. The wind was blowing against them. Then shortly before dawn, he went out to them. He walked on the lake. When he was about to pass them by, remember that, we're coming back to that. When he was about to pass them by, they saw him walking on the lake. They thought he was a ghost, so they cried out. They all saw him, and they were terrified. Okay, so after God wants to pull us away, we need to go away. The next we need to go to Jesus, not to a place, not to a thing, but go to Jesus. Let me go back to this phrase, pass them by. That, that Greek word is parechamai, and that means literally exactly that, to pass by someone or to pass by something. In and of itself, not really that uh, interesting, except that this exact phrase is used over and over again in the Old Testament. Yes, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, not Greek, but the, the Old Testament was translated into Greek, and this exact word was used over and over again, and it was a theophany. You didn't know I was going to talk about theophany, see? <laughs> I was going to say great minds think alike, but one great mind and then a copycat thinks alike. So a theophany, a theophany is exactly what Pastor Al said. It is an appearance of God, an appearance of Jesus, appearance of the Holy Spirit, to strengthen, to undergird, to challenge, to call out one of his followers. So I'll give you an example. You remember Moses in the burning bush. We all remember that story, of course. That was a theophany. You remember the time when God placed Moses in the cleft of a rock, said, you hide out here. Then, then God passes by, and, and, he, and, he, and he demonstrates his power. And then you remember Elijah. He hid him in a cave, and then, and then God passes by, and first it was like a wind, and then it was like an earthquake, then it was like fire, and then a still small voice. These were all theophanies, this passing by. And the purpose of that is to strengthen the believer, to strengthen the man or the woman of God for that which is about to come. All right? So that's what's going on. And this is what Jesus has in mind. He's passing them by, hoping this will encourage them, this will challenge them, this will demonstrate his strength and control over the earth and nature. And then comes Peter. 
<laughs> now, it's not in this telling of the story. It's actually in the Matthew version. Now, why Mark chose not to mention it, that's a whole other story by itself. But it's not mentioned here. But in Matthew, right at this point, this is the point where Matthew says, yeah, I'm scared to death. We all are. We're all in the same boat together. We're all scared to death. Jesus isn't with us. We're seeing a ghost, something we don't understand. We don't get it. I'm as scared as the rest of them. But there's something about Jesus. I, he is, it is more important to me to be near him, to be with him, to be in his presence than my own fear. I will get out of this boat. I will jump over my fear and I will walk to Jesus because that is the most important thing to me. That's what set Peter apart. That is what must set you and me apart in this world. Now, I don't know if you're floating in a boat and there's a great storm and Jesus is a, a football field away and he's calling you to come. But whatever it looks like in your life, God is asking you not, not to forget your fears or stop being afraid or don't have any fears or any uncontrollable urges that you can't control, but rather realize that it is more important to be with and near Jesus than all of those things. And Peter got that, and I'm asking you to do the same. In every instance like this, there will always be a call to extraordinary trust in Jesus. It will never be an easy hop over the side and, and backstroke a couple laps to Jesus. There will always be a call to extraordinary trust. Uh, Henry Black could be a great church planner that lived and worked primarily in Canada. He, he said it this way. He said, I will never trust a plan that I can do in my own ability. If there's a plan of God that you might think is a plan of God and you can take care of it, handle it, get it done on a Saturday afternoon, it is probably not from God. Every plan that we see from God in his word, every calling from God is always bigger than the man or the woman of God can do on their own. It is always bigger than you and me. Moving across the country, walking across the street, getting out of a boat in the middle of a storm, that is humanly impossible, but with, but with God, all things are, po are possible. Number two, there will always be great fear. Number one, fear of our own inability. God, who am I to become a missionary? I'm not like them. I didn't grow up in church. Or I've, I don't know another language. Or I can't just move and, and, and live among those people. Or I can't walk across the street and talk to a total stranger. I, I can barely talk to my own family. You know me. I'm scared to death. God, I can't go. There's always fear of our own inabilities. But there's also always fear of the unknown. I don't know what it's going to be like when I get there. And again, whether I'm talking about the other side of the world or across the street when you knock on that door, or you bring them some Christmas cookies and an invite to our silent night under the stars, Christmas Eve, whatever it is, we're afraid of the unknown. Here's the deal. You remember the story I just mentioned about Elijah? God hiding him in a cave, and then God passes by this, this verse, this word, parechamai, where God is passing by him to strengthen him and to encourage him. First comes the, the wind, and then comes the earthquake, and then comes the fire, and then comes that still, small voice. And after all that happens, you get a question from God. Here's what he says. Elijah, what are you doing here? That's interesting about that question. God, the great God, the God of the universe says, he should have been up in heaven calling down to him and say, hey, what are you doing there in that cave? Get out and get to work. That's what he should have said. But that's not what he said. He said, Elijah, 
what are you doing here? Now, the only way God could have said it that way is if God was right next to Elijah in that cave. Elijah, what are you doing here? I'm right here with you. With the unknown, the inability, the bigger than you, of course you're afraid. Good, you're supposed to be. If you're not, then it's probably not from God. But here's the deal. In your fear, know that God is right there with you. And he is empowering you and gifting you and sending you. And on occasion, he is kicking you in the rear end to get out there and get at it. And then there is always a decision to be made. Peter may have wanted to be with Jesus. It may have welled up in his heart. And he might have leaned as far over the edge of that boat as he could have. But at the end of the day, until he lifted his little uh, leg over and put his toe, hairy little toe in the water, there was no decision made. Folks, we talk about missions, and we preach about missions, and we bring in missionaries, and we sing missionary songs. We have missionary fish fries. We do everything we can to talk about missions. But at the end of the day, it's your choice. In fact, let me read again uh, a bit from a, a famous theologian, A.W. Tozier. I bet Charlie's got this book at home on a shelf. He writes in this book. I bet you do, right? I, knew, I know you do. The book is called Knowledge of the Holy. And this is what he says about talking about, preaching about, teaching about missions. This is what he says. Almighty God, just because he is almighty, needs no support. The picture of a nervous, ingratiating God fawning over men to win their favor is not a pleasant one. Too many missionary appeals are based upon this fancied frustration of the almighty God. An effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers, not only for the heathen, but also for the God who has tried so hard for so long to save them and has failed for want of support. I fear that thousands of young persons enter Christian service from no higher motive than to deliver God from the embarrassing situation his love has gotten him into, and his uh, limited abilities seem unable to get him out of. That is not what this is about. That is not why we talk about missions, because God, because he's so nice, and he's so loving, and he's so kind, he wrote a check that he now cannot cash without your help. That is not the point. He will save those whom he will save with or without you. But I want you to be involved because I've seen firsthand what that does, not only for those that we reach, but also for my own heart. I want you to have that. So we must go first to Jesus. Once we've gone to Jesus, next it is time to go with Jesus. Look at verse 50. Once we've gone to Jesus, now we go with Jesus. The second half of verse 50. Right away, immediately, Jesus said to them, be brave. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then Jesus climbs into the boat with them. The wind died down, and they were completely amazed. Right, now, think about this for one second. Oh, and sorry, 52. They had not understood about the loaves. They were stubborn. Listen, what changed between verse 48 and verse 51? Let me read 48 one more time. 48 said it this way. He saw the disciples pulling hard on the oars. The wind was blowing against them. Shortly before dawn, he goes out to them. And now verse 51. Then Jesus climbs into the boat with them, and the wind dies down. And they were completely amazed. What's the difference between 48 and 51? What happened? Jesus gets into their boat. 
No, I know what you're thinking. Well, that's a teachable moment, Pastor. Je- you just got to get Jesus into your boat. Well, here's the deal. What kind of boat are we talking about? Here, l- let me just talk about what kind of boat we're talking about. What is your boat? What does it look like? Your boat is your safety. Your boat is your security. Your boat is your safe place, your secure place. It, your boat is what you are tempted to put your trust and your dependence in and depend on. Your boat is a place where you are so comfortable that it takes almost an act of God to get you out of that place, out of that situation, out of that relationship, because it has become so comfortable. Anything else would be an act of God. That is your boat. And what happens when Jesus gets into that boat. Well, folks, here's the deal. I'm going to blow your mind, but I believe even a church can become your boat. You say, well, pastor, we come to church to be prepared, to be strengthened, to be taught, to be uh, uh, disciples so that we can go out. Well, that is the deal. But as long as we continue to feed and feed and feed, we're just going to get fatter. Imagine a fish fry every Sunday morning, every Sunday afternoon, every Sunday night, and every day of the week. They're going to have to roll us out if they can get us out at all. That's the danger of being in a boat without Jesus. Well, how can you have a church without Jesus, pastor? Hop in my car, I might show you a few. And I think you'd be just surprised about who it is. It's not people that purposely, I'm not talking about cults that ran away from Jesus, have some kind of crazy theology. That happens, obviously. But churches that you and I would actually love and be attracted to, they've learned how to do things in their own power. They've learned how to sing and how to speak out of God's word and welcome folks and throw together a big shindig and, and, and have all kind of fun fellowship in their own power. How do I know that? That happened right here. Let me, let me talk about the wind first. The wind which was buffeting against them. The wind is anything that pushes against us. And the Bible says, and they were amazed. Now, word amazed or greatly amazed, sorry, uh, uh, they were completely amazed, excuse me, Completely amazed means to be girded up or, or boarded up or, or, or built up in some way yourself or to have something kind of propping you up from outside. And so when you are suddenly or completely amazed, that word means to knock that out from under you. So if you're standing on your own two feet, to be completely amazed. In the Greek term here, it means to have your feet knocked out from under you. Or if you're being propped up by something, to have those props knocked out from under you. That's what that word means. So what, what is God saying here? He says, I've removed all of that which is pushing against you. All of that which is holding you back. And I have knocked that which is propping you up out from under you what is propping us up our own ideas of how to do things our own abilities our own resources our own our own thoughts our own plans our own schemes god says it's not about you and how creative you can be and how well how how many fish fries you can have to bring them in and and lock the doors and keep them in it's how you follow me and my calling and letting god use us god wants to use us uh, the, the hardening of heart the Bible talks about is to be hard like marble. That's the exact word it says. A church without Jesus uh, is like a boat without Jesus. It can't be. Let it not be. See, here's the problem. Too many of us are trying to, to, to pull ourselves together by our own bootstraps and our own strength. And if I only had more faith, 
I just need to have more faith. Preacher, talk about faith so I can have more faith. And we're, we're focusing on having more faith. I've, I've talked to not yet believers that look at my life or look at a, a church member's life and said, oh, if I could only believe like her or, or have faith like you, just give me more faith. Here's the deal about having more faith. I have a challenge for you. Stop praying that. Stop praying to have more faith and spend more time with Jesus in his word, here in, in fellowship with other believers, talking to them just like the youth. They, they, they seem to get that picture. To know what God wants, you have to have a conversation with him. You have to talk. You have to listen. He has to talk. He will listen. We can learn a lot from our young people. We need to make sure that we just go to Jesus, spend more time with Jesus. And in that time spending with Jesus, our faith will grow. And then fourthly, what do we do after we've gone to Jesus, we've gone with Jesus, last we have to go for Jesus. Look at verse 53 and 54. They went across the lake and they landed at Gennesaret. There they tied up the boat. As soon as Jesus and his disciples got out of the boat, people recognized him, Jesus. Now this is an important point. Here, here's the deal. Up to this point, it had all been about Jesus and the disciples. Either Jesus was sending them in a boat to be, get away, they were getting out of the boat to come to Jesus, the disciples, the inner circle, or Jesus was getting back into the boat with his disciples, the inner circle, to strengthen them, prepare them, give them greater faith, because the closer you are to Jesus, the greater your faith. But now, finally they get to shore, and finally it's time to do what? Get out of the boat. Where do you think I'm going with this? Let me tell you what happens when they get out of the boat. As soon as their feet hit the ground, the disciples and Jesus, the Bible says, as soon as they get out, not a minute before, as soon as they get out of the boat, what happens? The Bible says the people recognize Jesus. Now, what does that word recognize mean? This is an incredibly powerful word. It doesn't just mean to say, oh, I, I recognize him like, like you know, you're, you're down at, at Starbucks and you recognize a celebrity that's in town filming a movie. I, 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 I saw, I saw uh, what's John Wick? Uh, a big hero from John Wick, oh, Keanu Reeves. I saw Keanu Reeves at Starbucks, but he was drinking a latte with, with not whole milk because he only drinks like vegan stuff, so whatever. So it's not that kind of recognize. It's the kind of recognize that means to know intimately, to know personally, to know through experience. Now that's, that's the word gnosko, but, but to recognize means someone pointed to that person, to that thing, so that you could know personally intimately through experience this is exactly what i'm talking about when we get out of the boat you are to get out of the boat and start pointing at jesus with everything you have with your words with your invitations with your sit down for coffee conversations point to jesus so when you get out of the boat people start recognizing being involved in a personal intimate and experiential relationship with jesus christ that is not going to happen until you and i get out of the boat and whether that means to get out of the boat and go all the way to asia to get out of the boat and go all the way to europe or to africa or to get out of the boat and go all the way across the street god is calling us to get out of the boat folks god is calling us to go God is calling all of us to go. This is just like last week with giving and the week before with praying. This isn't just for the special ones, the spiritually mature ones, the ones that have been here at least five years or longer ones. This is for all of us. All of us are called to go. And quite honestly, the new, brand new, 
fireball believers are usually the best at this. Usually the ones that have been here 5, 10, 50 years are the ones that need a little pushing out of the boat, not the brand new babies. So I'm encouraging all of you, especially now at this time of year, as we look towards uh, our Advent season, folks, our, our, our music team and our decorating team and our, our leadership team, they're doing incredible things. We're going to have the most fantastically beautiful, inviting Advent season you've ever seen. And on top of that, our outdoor uh, silent night under the stars Christmas Eve service is going to be incredible. I promise you it will be something you want to come to, but you'll want to invite 10 people each. What an opportunity. What an opportunity to do that if you would only trust God. And as you get out of the boat, we have invitations. If, if that's the very least you can do, take an invitation and invite someone personally. But if you can have a conversation with them and say, hey, come along, sit next to me. I want you to be my guest. What a great way to do that. That is what we're praying for this year and every year. Get out of the boat. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this challenge. We thank you for... Uh, Folks that live it out every day in extreme ways by getting out of their comfort zone and out of their own country and away from family to serve you all over the world. But God, there are many of us that you choose to use right here. God, we want to go. Thank you for showing us from your word what that looks like, the whole idea of going away with you and then going to you and going with you and then going for you. God, please Show us how we are to begin. Strengthen us, encourage us, challenge us. Do not allow us to slip back into our comfort zone, our smooth cruising pontoon boat, God, when you've called us to be involved in witnessing and ministering and sharing the gospel with the whole world. Please, Jesus, help us go with you wherever you lead. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Well, folks, as always, Jesus is talking, God is talking, and he is calling. And as always, the question is, are we listening? As we uh, close with a time of sing, we'll just sing a, a chorus or two of this song. We've got tons of great fellowship to be had back there and awesome Bible studies starting up in just a moment. But before we get to any of that, let's not end our time here without a commitment. What God is calling you to, I encourage you to do that right now. Do it very simply. You can walk forward and chat with me. Uh, Pastor Dave will be down at the front, chat with one of us. If you need to just kneel at the stairs and, and give something to God, you can do that too. Whatever decision God is calling you to do, I encourage you to do that today before you leave. Could you stand with me, please?